And the asylum program is a scam. Some of the roughest people you've ever seen, people that look like they should be fighting for the UFC. <laughs> they read a, a little page given by lawyers that are all over the place. You know, lawyers. They tell them what to say. You look at this guy, you say, wow, that's a tough cookie. I am very fearful for my life. I am very worried that I will be accosted. If I was sent back home, no, no. In 2019, the Trump administration enacted an executive order known as the Migrant Protection Protocols, MPP, which came to be known as the Remain in Mexico policy. This policy led to tens of thousands of asylum seekers to await the duration of their court hearing in Mexico rather than in the United States. And because of COVID, among other factors, most of these hearings have been postponed for years. MPP has been widely criticized for putting asylum seekers in harm's way as it requires them to wait in often unsafe border towns with little support or protection from exploitation. Over the past two years, this policy has turned away over 65,000 people at the border and resulted in a refugee camp right at our doorstep. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Dignity Displaced, a podcast brought to you by Solidarity Engineering. My name is Chloe Rastadder, and I'll be one of your hosts. I'm an engineer working full-time at the Matamoros refugee camp right across the border from Brownsville, Texas. This is a podcast about issues you might hear about in the news, but told from people who are living them or working them. In this podcast, you can expect to hear interviews from asylum seekers, deportees, humanitarian aid workers, and more. In fact, all recordings in this episode are sound bites from the camp. And what you just heard was a camp member celebrating the very first goal of a newly opened soccer field that Solidarity Engineering has been working on for the past few months and just opened this week. In today's episode, you'll hear from asylum seekers directly how MPP has affected their lives and what life is like in the camp. Act one, the journey. My name is Dison Valladares, and I was born in Honduras, San Pedro Sula, Cortez, in uh, 1965. As a reason, I had to come out from Honduras. Our country is really not a place to be, especially for people like us, you know, because we want to work, we want to be straight, we want to do some survivor be a survivor, you also want to supply for our families. In my country, you cannot do that. In Central America, it's pretty hard. Being so long without a job, uh, being under under the power of the organized crime, uh, people have to lose the house, leave everything they have behind, and just, just forget about everything, looking for places to sell and a new life, man. It's what the people decide to get out from our country. You know, it's, they, they lost everything, so 
we come up, we still not finished from the COVID-19, and then they come up a hurricane, two hurricanes together. Uh, they blow our country, they blow off a lot of places. It's, it's how people decide just, just make another caravan. Now they don't have any places to live, lost everything. Uh, they have been without work for the, for the COVID-19. And the hurricane has come up and missed everything up. Uh, the family is sick. A uh, lot of people being dying, people being disappearing. So it's, it's really that bad. It's, it's bad, or super bad, you know. And they really need a support. They really, they need it. Uh, I got I got out from Honduras in tonight, uh, 2019. I was doing some humanity work uh, with the kids, childrens, and I was working on a project called Brazos de Jesus, right? And um, pastor uh, from Interior Church, uh, he is have this project and he talked to me about it. We started working with it and started going to get the keys uh, to the dump or the dumper where they dump the garbage. They probably go up there and get some plastic and uh, metal, stuff like that. That's what they can sell and get some cash. So well, we don't have one of have uh, keys in the garbage. So we decided just come up and give some education. So we decided to open a kindergarten, and um, was a lot of kids, some of uh, gang members, right? Some of the kids from uh, Sicariato, or Sicario. Um, kids uh, being mistreated. So we, we started listening to their testimony. Kids getting all beat up to the school, and. Uh, and I started getting involved with the family. Uh, and everybody gave me a little respect, except to some guys that, that they don't like because I don't let it come into the school. They want to overpower the school, you know, and, and I was for that, you know, to protect. So um, the kids uh, were so happy because I was teaching a little bit of English to uh, and give you some little formation in the, exercise, you know, but uh, they know was so happy because I was including talk to the wife or woman because they was coming with black eyes and I was trying to tell them not, not let the guys do that, you know. So they got mad at me. So uh, I stayed three years and I have doing that kind of work and they told me they got to knock my head out. So I stay just waiting for, waiting for, but the pastor got all nervous. Brother, he said, I, I, I don't want no, nothing bad happen to you. They, they come in to talk to me. I said, well, well, I'm not scared about these people. They already know me, who I am, and, uh, and I ain't go back up and something I think could have wrong. So I said, but I don't want no. They, they come up and treat it. If you continue to uh, give opposition to this guy, uh, I might have to close the, 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 the school, and I really I don't want that. So I, I enjoy seeing the kids going from kinder to the third grade, and uh, nobody, they don't have to pay that. I was enjoying doing it, but after the pastor got nervous, and I see guys, they started following me, whatever. You know, and uh, everything I was doing wrong, I, I just go. So, um, 
the pastor told me, well, if you're going to to Mexico, why the kids not coming with you? And uh, they was coming because they want to get out from there too, you know, the Honduras, there's no work, it's, it's nothing to do. Some people, if you don't have no money, can study. And, and these young kids, they want to spend some time studying. So it's, it's how putting together the trip, you know. It started traveling all the way from Guatemala. It's in Guatemala a week, waiting for a permission to give it to us. Yes, I walked to, to Mexico. But Mexico, you, you have to learn to walk in there, you know. You have to learn the places uh, where really is dangerous. And if you get close to the, the you're going to have some problems or, or somebody get you involved in problems. Mm -hmm. And I don't have no time for that. So um, Mexico really was pretty bad. Like I know some many people that have talked to me, how they suffer, how they're being kidnapped, how they're being beat up, how they're being raped, women being raped, uh, kids being just taken from the sides. And the caravan has come up and people being died and some people have just kidnapped people from the caravan. And uh, not that many people uh, want to talk about it. Uh, especially women, they don't want to say they was raped. Uh, so why do you decide to get baptized? Because I've been through a lot. I've been through, I had a drinking problem, a drug problem. Uh, my son got shot in Houston and I told God I, I was already tired of all that. So I was already deciding what I wanted to do and when I wanted to decide to get baptized and to turn myself to God because only God can help us whatever we're going through and whatever we're suffering. So that's why I got baptized for the reason is I'm suffering a lot. Mm -hmm. My kids are going through a lot and I was going through a lot. A lot of stress, staying in the tent. Sometimes I would not eat you know, and sometimes I will. So I wasn't eating the way I was eating because of stress. And I was already tired of doing all that. So, you know, one day a person came to my tent and told me to get up and God would help me do whatever I could. So that's why I got baptized. Um, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the actual experience and the location, seeing that you can see the United States and Mexico, it's kind of symbolic. We got baptized on the River Grande uh, by two pastors, uh, but they've been here for almost two years, the way we're, I've been here. Uh, so they, he was talking to a pastor from Honduras. So he give him, that's his pastor. And his pastor said, yeah, it would be good for us to get baptized. So I asked him if he can baptize him. I asked him myself if he can baptize us in the river. And he said he already got permission by the people that work here. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, 
that's why we got baptized. So the reason is that we've been suffering and living here with the rain, the the rain, the cold. You know, sometimes like people just get us all stressed out by rumors and the phone. You know, and I was already like I I one day I you know. I lean down and I asked God if he can give all these people a chance to go to the United States for the reason is uh, we needed to. You know, we've been here too long to be suffering. So after I read a Bible, I, I have a Bible. I read the Bible. I asked God and I told him, I said, please give me another chance. Because I've been wanting to do something bad to myself. And I never did. So. It's like I told my kids. If I, if I can change. I'm going to give it to God's hands. Y'all need, y'all need to see that your mom. Wants to change. For that reason. Act 2. Life in the camp. Even pre-COVID, Matamoros has been designated as a level four do not travel area by the U.S. Department of State. This is the most severe travel advisory, putting Matamoros in the same category as Syria. Organized crime is exceptionally widespread, making the camp members very vulnerable to crimes such as rape, extortion, kidnapping, and murder. In August of 2020, a camp member named Rodrigo, who was a camp leader and only 20 years old at the time, drowned in the river just down from the camp after trying to cross into the U.S. In this act, we'll hear from Deson, who's lived in the camp since February of 2020, about this event and life in the camp from his perspective. I just, I never understood how they come up and come up with a camp over here in the, in the river. Being here is being sometimes suffocated because sometimes you don't sleep, sometimes Something in the night time they feel, you know, and then you have to say, well, I gotta be wake up this tonight. I gotta stay up tonight, check it out what's going on. And that's and that's um, um, how the living over here in the night time is dying in the dark. You know, it's you have to face things like that over here. You have to have a real open mind to to get to know everything that's going on in a camp like this, you know. Some people are special, some people always have something bad in mind. What they gonna do next tomorrow, what they what, what bad is could be happen. One lady come up one morning and at one o'clock in the morning I said, Pastor, they taking one key how from you. They beat it up and now they take it out. We never see them again. A guy from over here come up one time to the hospital, field hospital, and talked to me. So you work over here? I said, yes, I do work over here. You see people trying to cross the river. I said, I don't see nothing like that, man. I've been, you know, 12 hours every day over here, and I never see this. He told me, listen, if you hear something, or somebody else will be bad on you, or bad on everybody else over here, just come and talk to me. Well, why? Why, why, what do I have to do? Just, just tell it. And tell the people here, trying to cross an air uh, can be an accident. So they, they told me that. Mm-hmm. 
So I said, okay, and I started teaching the people I know, I get more close to it. And I said, don't cross on the river. Don't cross the river. Don't cross on the river. People know understand Rodrigo, I talked to him three times before he did it. I said, man, you're not supposed to do that. Just why be patient, man, you're leader over here. If you're leader, why are you leading? If you cannot be wiser, you know, have a knowledge enough to, to control your, your anger or you, con you control your needs, man. Just, just, just be patient, you can see something going to happen. He don't know how to swim. And so you don't know, if you, you know how to swim, why you going to do that? Somebody could have crossed me in the, in the error, the matrix. I say, you sure, man? I say, I stay three times. Uh, to me, you know how to do that. Just wait. Uh, he never hurt. Everybody crossed his wife, his kids, his family, his, 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 his abuelita, la, la grandma, his grandma. But he was supposed to be a less, and the less never want to. So in the last morning, uh, in the last day, next day, so everybody was turned back over here from immigration, turned back to, to the camp. They went uh, running over there and check it out that he was there. When Rodrigo got that, people started getting afraid. The people uh, killed uh, he is over here, uh, right in the camp. And that's what I come up with an idea that some guys over here no good. And the time he crossed over here, so they used a spot to shrink him and just tell him he's drunk in the water, you know. But he, he was killed. And from that moment, it started changing. People started thinking different. And that was like a message for us. Act 4, post-MPP. Ever since Biden was elected, questions have been running wild about what is next. On day one of his presidency, Biden suspended new MPP enrollments, and a few weeks later, on February 11th, the administration announced that people with active cases will begin to be allowed to cross to wait out the duration of their hearings in safety in the U.S. The path forward for many is still uncertain, but this signifies a change in immigration policy. Coming up, you'll hear speeches from a protest that occurred at the camp a few days before the administration announced that people would start crossing. We don't want to be criminals. We want to enter legally. But really, nobody's helped us with anything. They keep saying, have patience, have patience. But you can't have patience after two years. I came here in 2019. It's coming up on my two-year anniversary. There's pregnant women, kids, people with disabilities, sick people who've all been forgotten, and we're all turned away. But they keep saying, wait, just wait in Mexico. Have patience. We'll give you an opportunity. But they haven't done anything. To us, it's like a lack of respect for our lives. We're trying to do the right thing, but they won't let us in. We have rights. I don't know exactly how many we are, but it's in the thousands. There's thousands of us, not just in the camp, in tents, but throughout the city, throughout the border. I've been to court four times. 
And every time they say another court date, another court date, have patience, have patience. But they never tell me anything concrete. They keep saying, wait your turn, but there are no turns. This is one asylum seeker's reaction to the news that MPP has ended and that the U.S. will start processing active asylum cases, meaning that she will be allowed into the U.S. for the first time since she reached the border. Bueno, Cristal, ante todo lo doy graciamente a Dios porque hizo un cambio, ¿verdad? Para bien, para cada uno de los emigrantes, porque no todos los emigrantes venimos porque queremos, sino porque pasamos momentos difíciles en nuestro país. Well, first I'd like to thank God because it's a big change, right? A good change for each one of the immigrants because not every immigrant came because we wanted to, we came because we had to. We had some bad moments in our countries, like in Nicaragua, a lot of repression with the government that we have. And honestly, I feel incredible. I, I just feel like I'm still going to stay here more time and more time. But now I know I, it's just a few days, a few hours even, where I can finally see my family in the United States. It's been really hard here, really hard. A lot of insecurity. And I know that you all have really been trying to bring the best conditions possible here. And, and we feel good that you did that but it simply is not enough we need we need to be treated like humans we need better lives especially for the kids more than anything and i feel guilty that i'm leaving this school behind but i know the kids are going to leave this camp happy because they're going to go see their families and that makes me more happy than anything knowing these kids are going to be able to reunite with their families that finally they will be able to reunite with their families now that MPP has ended. And well, we're ready to cross the border. We are really happy. I just I just feel so incredible. It, it feels like a lie. It's just so exciting. But really, we are so excited and happy. And we're going to miss a lot of people like you all. And we're going to be in contact because we know that other people are going to come to this camp after us. Because a lot of countries are in a bad position like Honduras and Nicaragua. So when I do finally make it to the United States, well, the first thing I'm going to do is give thanks to God. I don't know what job I'll have because really I, I need to continue the fight by finding the job because I still have kids in Nicaragua and I need them to leave that government, that dictator. And well, I don't know, visit my family, go to the beach, sleep in a real bed, take a hot shower, relax, but more than anything, say hi to my mom, say hi to my dad, my sisters, they're all citizens, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm going to react the moment I actually get into the United States, but well, it's all up to God. He has made us stronger. He's given our, our feet the energy we've needed to move forward, especially during my trip from Nicaragua to here. We had a lot of bad moments, difficult times, cult that nobody deserves to go through. Not not just walking, but, you know, other things for, for security, I won't say. But yes, God has given us the strength that we needed to get through that trip. And now, with just a few days, just a few days. And yes, I'm going to miss some of the people I've met here. <laughs> I don't want to go, but of course I do at the same time. If I had the opportunity to come back as a volunteer and support the other migrants in the future, to come back as a volunteer and not as a migrant to help the other migrants, I would love to come back and help. Me and my daughter and my two granddaughters are all ready 
to help all of you. So well, we'll be in contact for, for whatever happens to support each other. And we just want to keep supporting all the other migrants who come through here. We're just so close to, to going and arriving in the United States. I called my family to tell them the good news. And everyone cried. It was so emotional. We're all so excited. I'm going to finally live in a house, a real house, not a tent. Thanks for listening to Dignity Displaced, a podcast brought to you by Solidarity Engineering. Solidarity Engineering is a woman-founded, woman-led humanitarian response organization that works primarily with displaced people. To learn more about the work that we do, please go to solidarityengineering.org and consider donating to our Patreon. All donations will go directly towards our projects. Today's show is produced by Chloe Rastadder, Krista Cook, and Aaron Hughes, with translation completed by Krista Cook. Thanks to everyone who has worked with Solidarity Engineering, and special thanks to John Carlos Rosario, Berta Alicia Bermudez Tapia, Adam Arispaha, and Irene Minat. Thanks again for listening, and please subscribe to Dignity This Place so you'll never miss a story. Todos los inmigrantes todavía estamos aquí en la frontera de Matamoros.